and get your family photo on, okay? So we hope that you have a fantastic day. Now, we want to jump into our message, which, you know, we're in this series called Misfit Heroes. And I was thinking about how, what mom do I pull from the Bible to talk about being a misfit hero? So I kind of took it a different way. Um, this isn't, you know, and I've always said Mother's Days and Father's Days. I don't want to just speak to the moms because then half the audience gets left out. Guys are like, I'm not a mom. I don't know what to do with this. So I always preach in a way that I believe that everybody will get something from it. And I want to talk about uh, the, the message title that I kind of titled my message today is The Misfit and the House of Bread. The Misfit and the House of Bread. And it's going to make a whole lot of sense once we get into it. But uh, we're going to be talking about Naomi. Um, and so uh, she's kind of one that kind of gets overlooked uh, because she is in the book of Ruth. And Ruth is kind of the, the, the leading person. But really, there is no Ruth without Naomi. There is no story of Ruth without Naomi's family. And uh, kind of the, the gist of uh, Naomi and Ruth and all of that and what we'll dive into in the book of Ruth is this, is that Naomi's family, her husband and her two sons, lived in Jerusalem, lived in Bethlehem uh, within Jerusalem, and there was a famine that hit the land. And so they left Bethlehem and they moved to a different town. Moab, which was not a Jewish uh, nation, was not a Jewish culture. They left their town and they went somewhere else. And her two sons married uh, these two other Moabites uh, women and Ruth being one of them. And the story progresses over four chapters of Naomi and Ruth and, and, and all that happened. But there's something interesting within this is that the story starts in Bethlehem and the word Bethlehem means house of bread. Now, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that, that things are by happenstance. And, and so it's, it's kind of interesting that Bethlehem, right, also where, uh, where Jesus was born, and, and, and it's the house of bread. Jesus is constantly talked about in the Bible as the bread of life. God is constantly being brought back to this idea that he is, he is the, the food, the nourishment of his people. And even more so, when you look at the Old Testament and you dive into uh, how the temple was designed, there's this thing called the showbread. And the showbread was this piece of bread that was put inside the uh, tabernacle, and it was always kind of there. And it would be rotated through after about seven days. The priest would eat it, and more showbread would be baked. And, and it was 12 unleavened bread, which is flatbread, uh, stacked for the 12 tribes. There's a whole, you know, I could go on and on about just the symbolicness of this showbread. But the showbread was always in the temple. The showbread was considered the bread of his presence. That's what its name is, bread of his presence. The showbread is said to have reminded the people of God that he supplies their daily needs, not just independence on physical needs, but their spiritual needs. And then we get to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, and it's got no bread. The house of bread has no bread, and now Naomi and her husband and her two sons have to leave and go and live somewhere else. And this is where the, uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi pick up in Ruth 1, 1 through 6. And we're going to read these first six verses and jumpstart the story and what we can learn from them. So Ruth 1, 1 through 6, I'm reading out of the New King James Version with the Ruth uh, section. But it says this, now it came to pass 
In the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, uh, Judah, which would be like saying Camden, Arkansas, so Bethlehem, Judah, uh, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man, Elimelech, wish he couldn't just, why can't he just be Edward? The name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Shilon. Ephraites. I love Old Testament. I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to start making stuff up of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Imelech, name was husband, died. So they moved to a different place and the husband dies. Now Naomi is left with her two sons. Now they took wives of, the Mo, Mo, uh, of Moab women and the name of one was Orpah, like Oprah, but separate, different. Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. So you got Orpah, and then you got Ruth, like normal name. You know, I couldn't, you know, I, it's, Old Testament kills me with that. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both of her sons also died. So listen, a famine causes the family to leave the house of bread. And while there, the husband dies. The sons grab wives. And then within 10 years, both sons are dead. And now this mom is only left with her daughter-in-law's. And so you get this picture, and then, so what happens is, uh, it says, then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. What she heard was where she was living, she heard rumors that the house of bread, Bethlehem, was no longer in famine, that there was food and supply. And, and, and now all she has, she doesn't have her son. She doesn't have her husband. All she has is her daughter-in-laws. Now, which may seem like nothing to us, but in Jewish culture, uh, the way that this would work, and, and I'll just use uh, Sky as an example. If Sky was to marry a, a Jewish man back in Old Testament days, okay? So we're, we're going back. We're, you know, she's way back in the day now. If, if she married a, a Jewish guy and he died, by Jewish culture, the next in line had to marry Sky. Didn't matter. That's just the way it was. So if she married a, you know, a 35-year-old and the next in line was a 30-year-old, then she'd marry a 30-year-old. If the next in line was a 20-year-old, she'd marry a 20-year-old. And, and, and so what happens is, is that Ruth is thinking, I've got no more sons. I don't even have a, a husband to produce any more sons. And she, here she has these daughter-in-laws that she is attached to. But Naomi and her family left the house of bread because there was no bread. And then she hears rumors at the beginning of Ruth that Bethlehem has bread again. Much could be made of the similarities with the church today and this misfit Naomi's story. Matter of fact, if you, if you look at Ruth and look at the, the way that it's written, it's, it's very well written to uh, be similar and, and so that we can look at it and go, He's not only talking about somebody's life, but he's talking about the church, about how God sees us and how God wants to win our heart and how God cares for us. And we'll, we'll get to that. See, here's the thing. Many leave the church because there's no bread in the house. You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about this. How many people you know have left church in your lifetime? And, and as a pastor of, of almost 20 years, the number one, 
I almost said excuse, reason <laughs> that people leave church is they go, well, you know, I just wasn't getting fed there. I mean, how many have ever heard that about church? Well, I just, you know, the word just wasn't hitting me like it used to. Oh, the pastor wasn't preaching like he used to. Oh, the words just, they, they, you know, his, his, his messages weren't as, as powerful, as strong. I just, I just wasn't getting, and it's interesting that we say that. I wasn't getting fed in the house of bread. And so many times in the modern day church, so many people leave the church because they say they are not being fed. There's no bread in God's house. See, here's the thing that I've learned about church leadership is that we like to show God off, but we rarely allow God to show up. We like to talk about him. We like to, to make him known. Oh man, I want to show God off to the world. But we very rarely in a church service say, God, have your way. God, move in a way that, that people would be touched and their hearts would be filled and the, their spirit would be uplifted and encouraged by your goodness. And it's not about me, but it's about you, Jesus. When I was thinking about that, it, took, it brought me back to 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, and it says this, and, he, and he's talking about, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy about what the people of the last days will look like. And he says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says this line, having a form of godliness but, but denying his power, have nothing to do with such people. And I think so many times in the church, we unfortunately, that last part rings so true of sometimes how we get in the church because we like to program it and we like to make it down to the, we wanna be perfect. And I've said this before, we will probably never be a perfect church. We will always have mistakes. We will always have mess ups. We will always have things that aren't right. Why? Because I want room for God to move, amen? I don't want you to just go, well, good church service. Man, I felt good. I'm going to get my little devotion. I'm going to get my little family photo, and then I'm going to move on. No, I want you to hear God's word in such a way that it will impact your life and change your life. I want you to allow God's word to, to sink in and go, hey, God, is there something in me that, that needs to be drawn out or changed? Is there a way that you can encourage me? My prayer always is God, encourage us, challenge us, change us, and correct us because that's what God's word does. And I never want to be known as a, a person or a church that has a form of godliness but denies his power. I want God's power to be so real that if he tells us to, to do something that we are willing to do it. If he says to serve a certain way or to love people a certain way or to do service a certain way like we've done in the past, even in the last couple of weeks, when, when we're talking about Easter, you don't change the way that you do church on Easter. That's just a big church no-no. And we decided, hey, we're going to take all the chairs out and we're going to put the service right in the middle of it and we're going to make you get really awkward around us. You don't do that. Like, that's a no-no in church world. Like, no, you don't change things up. But I, wanna, I always want to be a church that says, God, what do you want first? What is your heart? Because I believe that's how our lives will constantly be changed. When we start to push the bread out of the house of bread, then that's a bad thing. And people will always be hungry. I believe that one of the biggest things about Camden when we came here was that we heard just that, especially from a lot of younger families. When we would meet with younger families, they, they would, we would say, do you go to church? Oh, well, I was raised in church. I was like, that's not the question that I asked do you go to church? And, and they would say, well, we used to, or, you know, we just haven't found one for us now. 
That's not a knock on any of the churches here in Camden. There, so I've met some really great pastors since moving here with some really great churches. But I do realize that there is a lack and a need for, for people to find a place where they feel comfortable. I think one of the hardest parts is when you are younger to not just go to church because it's what your mom and dad do. And as, as parents, our greatest heart when we love Jesus is to pass that on, and we've got to give them a space and a place where they can serve Jesus in their generation, amen? And so this is this, is this beautiful picture of Naomi and Ruth, and, and so Naomi hears, there is house, there's bread back in my house. She looks at her two daughter-in-laws and she says, you don't have to come. Matter of fact, if you read the story, she, she tells them, I don't have any more sons for you. <laughs> she goes, even if I got married today, it would be like 20 years before you could get married to one. Don't wait. Go, go back to your home, go back to your land and, and go and, and, and you're free. I, I, I release you from, from the, the customs of our family and, and go. But there's some things that we learn about Naomi and Ruth through this story that are important to our lives and to the lives of the church. So I want to give you a couple of those thoughts. The first thought is this. Moab is a death sentence. That sounds really harsh to say about uh, any place, right? How many times have you heard Camden? There's nothing to do here. You know, uh, when, when we, I've told this story before, when we first moved here, before we moved here, uh, we, we visited in May of that year and we went to the, the uh, bank and we opened up a bank account for the church and we started talking about, uh, talking to the lady. We're like, yeah, we live in California, we're moving here. Da, 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 da. She goes, oh, you can put your kids in Camden Fairview? And we're like, is there another option? <laughs> like, of course we're going to put our kids in Camden Fairview. And, and this, was, this was her response. Oh. Now imagine you're on the other side of the desk and that's what you hear. Oh. See, right then and there, my wife's heart, not, my, not mine so much because I'm like, well, whatever. Because I'm a guy, right? Like, your opinion means nothing to me. But my wife, on the other hand, her heart sinks because what she hears is it's a death sentence for your children. Now, I will say this, after living here for four years, we have some amazing teachers. We have some great teachers. We have some great teachers in the house, okay, who are probably really excited for summer to come, okay? <laughs> but they are great. They, they love and they pour into their, their, their school and in, into their classrooms. But see, Moab was a death sentence for Naomi. Literally speaking, she went there with a family and left with none. Her husband died. Both of her sons died. And now all she's left with is two daughter-in-laws. Here's the thing about Moab, and, and here's the thing about the spiritual discipline of Moab, is when we, when we allow our lives to get stuck in a Moab, a place that was not our calling, is not our purpose, is not our home, when we allow the world to suck the life out of us, what will happen is it will steal your dreams. It becomes a cruel place to wake up and to just go through the motions. It will rob you of the vitality of life. How many sometimes you just wake up and you just feel like all the life is sucked out of you? I'm just going through the motion. God, I just, I want something different. I don't know how to get out of it. God, I just, I want something new. But God, I just feel like the life is sucked out of me. And it'll block your ability to see your future. Naomi didn't see a future. Matter of fact, the, the way it's written, you could tell that Naomi is depressed. 
She's walking through a time of depression, a time of low self-esteem, a, low, a, a time where she's, she's barely holding on to what God has for her. And I know so many people can, can understand that way of life. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a season of loss. Maybe it's just changes in your life that you just go, God, I don't see it. I don't see my future. I don't see how, how I'm supposed to move on from this. God, I don't see what you see. And so I walk through where this place and this season of life where it sucks the life out of me and it steals and robs my dreams and my future. You run to Moab when the crumbs don't fill you. You run to alcohol when the crumbs don't fill you. You run to eating when the crumbs don't fill you. You run to relationships when the crumbs don't fill you. When, when church just, you know, listen, and, and, and some of you can sit there and go, well, oh, God always supplies my needs. You better believe that. But when you aren't tied to God, church will never fill you. I, you could go to church every Sunday and it do nothing for you. If you're not connected to God, a personal relationship with Jesus, my Savior, if that isn't your personal everyday life, coming to church doesn't mean nothing. It's just, ah, you know, I just, I go there because I'm supposed to, because that's what good people do. No, because the crumbs of the church will never feed you the way that the feelings of the outside world will. Because anybody that says, oh, sin is bad. Yeah, it's bad, but it also feels good in the moment. It does. Alcohol will, 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 you know, block the nerves and the feelings and the emotions from overwhelming you when you, listen to me, you can't tell me that when you eat ice cream, you don't feel a certain way. I do. Come at me. I told my wife yesterday, a little bit of vulnerability with you guys. I said, this has got to be the heaviest I've been since we've lived here. I don't look it, but I'm like 210 pounds. <laughs> I'm a Oompa Loompa. I'm five foot seven, two, two ten. Thank God I like show it well, or else I'd be like, oompa loompa doopadee I love Jesus. Listen to me. I'm a weird kid, okay? But I, I looked at it. I'm like, and I and I'm just like, ah. Oh. You know, you're out of shape when you have you know take that breath just to tie your shoe. Right? Vulnerability? Okay, look, we've all been there. I hope. <laughs> Listen, I hope that I'm not the only one that's... But you know what? You know what's sad is? Is I look in my garage and I see the workout equipment. I go, I need to get there. But the ice cream feels better. Because the ice cream, like... it. Listen, and without getting into all the science, it actually makes my brain go, yay. The way workout never will. Ever will. I do workout... Because my body gets to a place where I can't tie my shoes. But the reality is, is that when I eat the ice cream or I eat the chocolate brownie or the number of snacks that are in my office, I'm not going to tell you how much there is, um, but it does something to you. Caffeine and, and, and sugar, it does something because it overwhelms you. Just, you know, people that go, oh, you're, you're an alcoholic. Listen, I'm a caffeineaholic. I'm a sugaraholic. Some, of you, some people get into relationships because they can't stand the quietness. We run to Moab because the crumbs of the church don't fill us, only to find out that the world's carbs are empty. They don't, they don't fill us either. They, they, for a moment, they feel good, but, but ultimately, you start to feel that death over and over again. And just like Naomi, there's a rumor of bread that will cause you to be drawn back. I believe that the story of Naomi is the one of the prodigal. 
that says, I, I've tried to search for God in so many different ways, or I've tried to search for fulfillment and filling in so many different ways, but the only way that I really get is when I run to the feet of my Savior. Moab is a death sentence, and if you stay where Moab is, you will never find your fulfillment in your life. The second thought is this. Are you content with crumbs? Are you content with crumbs? Think about it. If you've got animals, man, they get really excited when it's dinner time. Our dog did, like any dog we've ever had. And for some reason, the two dogs we've had, pizza has been like the, oh man, if I bring pizza in the house, it's like they can't stop themselves. They're like, you love me. No, I don't. Get away from my food. (laughs) I don't love you that much. But they sit there and, and, and it's like all of a sudden they become good. Right? Dogs become like amazing at dinner time. They sit by you, look at you with those puppy dog eyes, start drooling. <laughs> and they're just happy if something if something falls, it's like, whoa! Yes. They're content with the crumbs until they're like, wait a minute, this isn't enough for me. I need like the whole slice. <laughs> Drop a whole chunk of the steak. And so many times as Christians, we get so content with just the preaching of a pastor or a podcast instead of actually diving into God's word. And we're content with the crumbs of the word. I'll take your word for it, pastor. I'll take your word for it that that that's what the Bible says. I just don't have time to study it myself. And so we get content with spiritual crumbs in our life. Are you content with where you are at spiritually? I had two questions that, that I was sitting in my garage writing this message, and um, two questions came to my brain, and I, and I wrote them down, and, and they hit me. I, t- I text my wife. Um, it was like <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. I text my wife, and I was like, holy cow, the preparation of this message is killing me. And she goes, that's typically a good one. And I said, I hope so. But the two questions that came is, are you content with where you are spiritually? Are you okay with where you are at with God? And the second question is this, what will you do to change it? Because it doesn't matter what the answer to the first one is if you're not willing to do something about the second question. No, I'm not. Listen, it's, it's the battle of my brain. And, and I'll go back to the working out part. I constantly battle with wanting to be in shape, but not wanting to do the things to be in shape. Anybody else feel that pain? Like, man, man it would be, listen, I love when I start losing pounds. There's something awesome about when, when, when you start to like, you shed the weight. Now listen, those that sit there and go, I love working out. You're weird, you're sadistic, there's, there's a special group for you, okay? Most people don't like the working out, they like the byproduct. I'm one of those people. I hate the workout. Absolutely hate it. Just, there's nothing fun about it. I would, you know, just, I, I don't know. It's just horrible to me. But I love the product of it. I love when I'm 20 pounds lighter. I love when I get up with full of energy. I love when I can run around and do whatever I want to do. I love those things. I love the byproduct. But if I'm not willing to do and answer the first thing, until I am sick and tired of myself looking and feeling the way that I am, I'm not going to figure out what I need to do to change. Spiritually, we're the same way. I feel depressed. I feel hurt. I feel like my past is holding on to me. I feel like I don't see a future. I feel like this. I I have all of these things that I don't like about my spiritual life, but I'm not at a place where I'm willing to change yet. Until you're willing to change, the first question really doesn't mean a whole lot. So my question is, if you're not content with where you're at spiritually, what will you start to do today that will change it? You have to create a game plan. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, 
It is living by God's power. You could say all you want all day long. I've said, I said, I think I said this last week. You can go sit in a garage and you can act like a car, but it doesn't make you one. You go sit in your, your garage and you start going, it makes you crazy, not a car. Okay? So you can, you can do all the, all the right things. You can say all the right things, but unless you're living within the power of God, you're missing out on the purpose and plan and you're content with the crumbs. I read this in a book this week. It says this, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. Ooh, I love that. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. So many people want to argue about God. Man, I'll tell you what he's done in my life. I'll take somebody who knows nothing about the Bible but knows everything about what God is doing in their life over somebody who can just spit a whole lot of verses out. Because somebody who has no heart but a whole lot of education doesn't understand the mercy of God doesn't understand the struggle of somebody walking it out and trying to get it together. I want that person that says, I've experienced God's goodness. I experienced his grace. I have understand his love for me. And because of that, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to live for him. Every person is meant to experience the presence of God. Every person is meant to live in that place where we're not content with the crumbs, but we're diving after the full food that God prepares at the table. I wrote this down that recitation, okay, teachers, please tell me, how do, I, how do I say that word? Okay, I am saying it right, good. I've read it like 30,000 times this week, and I'm like, I'm going to ask a teacher. English is a second language here, okay? I'm just saying. Was never meant to take the place of visitation. In other words, here's the thing. You could have the Bible all day long, and if I gave Rodney the Bible and just said, pick a verse, any verse, read it out. He could recite it over and over and over again. But it's when the word becomes real. Because some of you know what that means when, when a verse leaps out at you and you go, I've lived that word. I've lived the word that says I was lost, but now I am found. I've lived the word where, where, where when I read the story about the, the prodigal son who has ran away from God, ran away from his father, and he returns home and says, I will be but a servant in your house. And he says, no, no, you are my son. Some of you have lived that. Some of you are looking, look at all of you looking it up. Come at me later, okay? Some of you are looking up the dictionary right now trying to figure out how to break that word down. Thank you. We'll get it right. Listen, Naomi was a Jew who knew God was outside, but was outside of her culture and had lost much of who she was. She lost her value. Moms, let me speak to you just for a minute because I think this is something real for moms and not so much for dads. I'm going to just be honest for you. I think moms, you lose a lot of who you are when you have kids. I've watched my own wife struggle with identity because when you have a kid and you start to take care of them and your identity becomes mom and not Stephanie. You start to lose that identity. And fathers, we're, for the most part, we're compartmentalized. I can be Scott all day long. And if you need me to be dad, okay, I'll be dad. We can compartmentalize that. But moms, you, you take on a, a whole nother level of pressure that, that I don't feel like we do as men. And I watch 
moms lose their identity and who they are and who God has created you to be over just being a mom. And can I tell you, after 18 years, they leave you and you're like, holy crap, who am I? For 18 years, all I've been is mom and I've been the provider of lunches and the finder of things and the keeper of the calendar and now I don't have that and who am I? And I'm telling you, if you don't realize that you are a child of God who has given you a dream and a purpose, and I think that's where a lot of women, they, they have a tough time in depression is because once they get to that place, they go, what do I do with the next 30 something years of my life? God is saying, being a mom is an amazing job, but it's not the only thing you are. You got to lean into God. You got to ask him specific questions. Who do you want me to be? In a season of my life, I may, I may need to be mom more than anything and, and, and pour into those kids, but who am I? And, and, and making sure that you don't get lost in that. Naomi got lost in that. And when she was no longer a husband and a mother, she was lost in who she was until she realized that God still had her. Like Naomi's daughter-in-laws, you will have a choice. Follow the bread or stay where it's comfortable and complacent. Stay in Moab. So you look at Ruth 1, 14 through 16, it says this. So, so here's this journey of Naomi. Naomi's going back, and, 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 and what happens is, is her, her two daughters want to go with her. And it says, then they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. See, here's the thing, is that Naomi lost herself as, as, a, as a person, as a child of God, as, a, as, as having a purpose in her life. And she was trying to leave everything and everyone around. She was just wanting to go back to her home. And Ruth said, no, 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 I won't let you. I won't let you do that because you have made a difference in my life. And so wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you sleep, I will sleep. Whatever you do, I will do. And here, wherever you, whoever you serve, I will serve. Whoever your God is will be my God. Ruth left everything that she knew to follow the person who had made a difference in her life. And, and can I tell you, moms, you never realize how much difference you make, not just in your kids, but in your friends, your kids' friends. How you live and how you, listen, I always hated it as, as, a, as a teenager because my friends always wanted to be at my house and I never wanted to be at my house. Not that I didn't love my mom and dad, but they're my mom and dad. It's like, I wanted to escape, right? I want to go somewhere else. And this is what I realized later on in life is the reason why my friends wanted to go there was because there was discipline and structure in my house that a lot of my friends didn't have. They just wanted somebody to know that they cared. A lot of times... Teenagers and kids are just looking for, for adults that'll go, I, you're, even though you're not mine, I care. I'm gonna treat you like mine. I'm gonna watch after you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna guard you. That's child dedication. It's the church saying we are gonna protect and we're gonna help raise and we're gonna help love these kids. The third thought is that there was an attraction of the heart. There was an attraction of the heart. Ruth didn't have to go. She wasn't her daughter. She could have gone back to her mom and her family and her way of living. But she saw something in Naomi. There was very little passion left for God in Naomi's life, but it was enough for Ruth to pursue. And I think this is very, very key. Both 
chased after the hunger, even if they were unsure of the future. And there was just enough of God in Naomi for Ruth to want to follow. I think so many times we go, well, I'm not a perfect Christian. Okay, good. Join the club. There's, like, I, I almost say it like this, and this may be sound wrong, but there's no place for perfect Christians here. Like, if you feel like you're better than me, then, I mean, you're, I don't know what God you're serving, but, man, my God is the God of a misfit army. Of a bunch of people that are going, I'm just trying to find my place, and I'm trying to do it the best I can to, to serve God. And you know what? I'm going to screw up sometimes. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say some things that I, I, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to do some things that I'm going to go and, dang God, I'm sorry. But you know what's crazy about this? Naomi had just enough God still in her, even in her darkest moment, that Ruth said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to follow you. Even when you feel at your least, if you're giving it to God, people see that. When you may go, oh, I don't have it together. Oh, such a screw-up. And people are going, I want to be like you. You're going, why? Because even though you may feel insignificant, people see God in you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what, what you think of yourself. It's about the, the God that is in you. And there was just enough hope in Naomi that Ruth said, I won't go back there. I need to follow you. They pursued God together. And pursuing God is our chief aim after salvation. Can I tell you what I believe why Ruth followed Naomi? Because it was her character. It was her, the way that she chose to live her life. It was the way that she mothered. And it was her discipleship that led Ruth. And Ruth is a good picture of the unchurched, not a Jew, didn't get raised in the synagogue, didn't didn't know anything really about God other than when she got married into the culture. And Ruth, the unchurched, saw just enough in the prodigal, in the person who who loves God but is, is, is feeling a little ways. They said, I'll follow you. Even what little you have, God can change people. Can I just... I want you to hear that. Even what little you have, God can use. The little bits. I don't have it all together. Okay, use what you've got. I, don't, I, don't, I only know a few scriptures and, and, I, and I only have this together and this, this part of, I, I'm, I'm learning to, to lean into God. Use what you've got. I don't know how to eloquently pray. Use what you got. I would rather take somebody who stammers over their word but has a passion behind their prayer. Use what you've got. Naomi's direction for, to Ruth is what led her to Boaz. At the end of the, the story, there's this beautiful guy that, that comes into their life and he's rich and he's handsome and he's got it all together. <laughs> it's like, hey, now this is a good end of the story. You know, actually, uh, when you study Ruth, the, the story of Ruth, they actually say it was like one of the original love stories because Ruth, you know, her husband also died. So think about this. Naomi, her husband died. Her two boys died. But Ruth is also in the story and her husband has died. And now she's clinging to Naomi, who is the the little bit of glimmer of hope and godliness in her life. And inserts this guy, Boaz. And when they move back to Bethlehem, she says, I'm going to go and I'm going to work at the the threshing floor, the wheat fields. And what would happen is uh, when they would do that is if, if you owned a wheat field and you had servants, they would, if they dropped a little bit, they would purposely drop stuff so that the poor people would have something to come and grab and be able to eat. They'd be able to take home some wheat every day. 
And so, so Ruth is, is one of these poor people that they move back to Bethlehem and she's just grabbing up little scraps of, of wheat. And Boaz sees her and is like, hey, how you doing? And she doesn't know that he knows that she knows that he knows. But he knows. And she's over there and she's just picking up her wheat and he's over there like throwing stuff on the ground. And she's going home, and, and, and God had given her favor in his sight. But she wouldn't have, she was like one of those naive girls that didn't know how to, like, you know, you look at it and she's like, you're like, whoa, <laughs> pump the brakes a little bit, coming on a little too strong. So Naomi would say, Naomi ga- gathered her and said, listen, this is how you're gonna do this. This is, this is how you're gonna win Boaz's affection. And so she follows the discipleship of Naomi to show Boaz that she cared for him. There's a whole lot more into that story that I can't do at this time, but I would encourage you to to read it because it's really a beautiful picture. Because once again, you got to go back to Jewish culture. Ruth, as long as she is connected to Naomi, is dedicated to the bloodline of her family. She has to marry somebody within what they call the kinsman redeemer. And only that person that's next in line has, has uh, uh, the say to Ruth's life. And it wasn't Boaz. He was second in line. And so he goes and he calls all the elders of their family together. And he goes, I have a liking for Ruth, but Rodney has her first. And so Rodney... If you don't want to buy the rights of of that land, and this is really how the conversation goes, because all of Ruth's family land would come with it. And so he would go, you know, Rodney, you have the rights to, to, uh, to that land. And so with that land comes Ruth. And he's like, I don't want Ruth. I don't need Ruth. I like the land, but I don't need Ruth. And, and, and so Boaz says, well, then let me as the second in line, take this from you and I will take the land and I will take Ruth. And when that happens, he becomes the kinsman redeemer. And he redeems Ruth and Naomi in this story. He marries her, and, and, and there's this beautiful picture that the attraction, listen, had Ruth done what Orpah did, she would have never met Boaz. And without Boaz, Naomi would have never been able to find the purpose and the the ending of the story for herself. And so it is, you never know who and what you're interacting with. All these relationships that we build, you never know when there's this beautiful friendship that comes along and says, hey, I'm here because of you. When I was 14 and I got saved as a Christian, it was because, and I've told you this, because of my friend, Teresa, who for four months asked me to come to church with her. Four months. Now, some of you may be going, that's because she liked you. No, nothing to do with that. She was just excited about God. God had radically changed her life, and, and we were just close friends. And so every, every week, this is what it was like. Scott, do you want to come to church with me? Nope. Okay. Next week, Scott, do you want to come to church with me? Nope. Okay. After hearing no twice, I'd have been like, I'm not asking you again. If you want to come to church, you know where I am. Not Teresa. Every week, every week, every week for four months. And the week that I was supposed to go get high and drunk for the first time, I said yes. 
I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that God was was setting up a storyline for my life that I could have easily, like Naomi, I could have said, you know what? I don't see hope in my life. I don't see a purpose in my life. I'm just going to, you know what? Why am I trying to be this good kid? Why am I trying to do all the right things? I'm just going to go get high and drunk and, and see what it feels like. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else seems to enjoy it. Everybody else doesn't seem that it's a big deal in their life. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do it. How bad could it be? Well, now being on the other end of of law enforcement, I see how one time can change the rest of everybody's life. One try can can take somebody who's smart and caring and turn them into a, a monster. One time. So many times we just believe the lie that, oh, if, you know, I'm just going to go along with the crowd. I'm going to do what everybody else does. And listen, if it wasn't for Jesus and, and for my bad miscommunication of saying yes to church and yes to that at the same weekend, and, and yet instead of telling my best friend, I got to get this annoying girl off my back. I got to go to church with her. I'm so thankful that I did it in that order. Because had I not, who knows what, how the story would have ended. So many times in our life, God puts these moments in our life, just like Naomi and Ruth. What if she would have went back? What if she wouldn't have followed after the person who has made a difference in her life? And when you look at Ruth 4, 4 through 14 through 15, it says this. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. They had a kid together. Boaz and Ruth. And I love what it says. It says that, you, that, that he is the restorer of life. And, and when you look at it, God is the restorer of life when you allow him to birth new things into you. So many times on Facebook, I see people just that, you know, oh, I wish I could do this. I wish I this. And I'm telling you, can I, can I encourage you for a moment? Stop waiting for Monday to come. You know what I mean? Because you never start working out on a Wednesday. And maybe it's just me. You never, you never, you know, jump on that diet in the middle of the week, right? It's always a Monday. If you're going to do something, it seems like Monday's a good day to do it. And then someday comes around and you go, oh, next Monday. Can I I encourage you? Stop waiting for your next Monday. If you're not happy with where you're at in life, what are you going to do to change it? Maybe it's just submitting to God. God, I submit my relationships to you. I submit my life to you. I submit my job to you. God, help me to see your purpose and plan in this. And the last point is this, and it's the Point to end this morning. Future royalty awaits our hunger-spurned actions. What I mean by that is this. In the, in the ending story of Ruth, Ruth 4.17, says this. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Such a powerful statement in that scripture. Because, see, here's the thing. Had Naomi had just bought into her depression, she would have never introduced Ruth to Boaz. They would have never had Obed, who would have never had Jesse, who would have never had King David. 
And when you follow that genealogy, David is the bloodline of Jesus. In your deepest, darkest moments, when you don't feel like you have it all together, you never know what the future awaits for you. You never know the royalty that God is wanting to birth in you. The Bible says that we are priests and, and, and sons and daughters of a high king. You are royalty when you follow Jesus. When you say, I want to come and serve Jesus, he says, welcome to the family, not welcome to anything else. He calls you family. And you never know whose lives might change just by you choosing to get up on this next Monday and say, I'm going to live for God the best that I possibly can. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I'm going to have mistakes. And you know what? I may even walk through depression and hard times. I may walk through loss that just wrecks my world. But you know what? Just like Naomi, I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep going back to the house of bread. And I'm going to sit at the foot of Jesus and I'm going to say, Jesus, what do you have for me? That you lean into God and not all these other stuff. That when your struggles happen, that you lean into God and, and not, the, not the temptations of the world or the things that are easy, but you lean into God and you say, God, what is it that I need to learn? What is it that you need to take from me? What is it that I can grow in this moment? Your choices today will change the directions of future generations. My kids' lives are radically changed because I said yes to a friend. My kids are here because I said yes to a friend. Because had I not shown up to youth group, I would have never met my wife. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that God has a plan and a path for us, and we have the choice of saying yes or no. But we only know that if we stop sitting and eating at the table of crumbs and we start to realize that I have a place at the table to sit with Jesus and say, feed me. tired of going through life just unsure of things. I'm tired of feeling down and depressed without hope. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean you have, you'll get it all together and life will be full of rainbows. But it doesn't mean that you'll have a hope giver in the middle of all that. Somebody to lean into and lean on. Will you pray with me? Before we end, I, I'm just curious, maybe there's somebody here that's saying, you know what, I've, I know what Naomi feels like. I just, I, I feel like I'm barely holding on. But I don't want to give up. So I want to lean into the house of bread. I want to lean into God. And I, I just, I need your prayers, Pastor. If that's you, just nobody's looking around. Would you raise your hand? Amen. 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 The Bible says that he is a hope giver. He is a peace giver. And so I pray hope and peace over those that raise their hand. God, that they know what Naomi was feeling when, when, when they lost, when she lost her husband and lost her sons. And all she's got is these daughter-in-laws that, that don't have anything to do with her bloodline. And she's in a place where she knows nothing about. And she hears rumors of hope back in Bethlehem, back in the house of bread. So God, you're calling those that are heavy burden and your word says that, you, that they should take your rest and take your burden of the cross because it is light and it is peace and it is hope. And so God, the only way we get that is when we lean into you, when we trust you, when we dive into your word.
God, I pray for you to give them purpose. God, give them something to, to attach themselves to that would give them not just an identity, but your identity. Father, I pray peace and comfort over each and every person that is feeling like they're walking through a season like Naomi. Because at the end of the day, you are our kinsman redeemer. Jesus, you went to the cross to redeem us so that we could feel loved and feel connected and feel a part of the family. And so we thank you for that. And so, God, I pray that there would be people that would walk in that freedom and that we would live that out in the world that we're surrounded by. Lastly, today, I pray for all the moms. Pray for the mom that's going through it. I pray for the mom that feels lost. I feel pray for the mom who is barely holding on. Pray for the mom that has lost her identity. I pray for the mom that feels like in the middle of everything, in the middle of chaos, she doesn't know what to do. I pray for every mother that just needs a breath. God, I pray that you would be that peace. That they pass from generation to generation your hope, your love, your care, your goodness, your kindness. That no matter how they see themselves, the world looks at them and sees strong and beautiful. See somebody who, who cares and, and is willing to go out of their way to pour into anybody and everybody that comes across their path. God, I pray for those moms, that they would be encouraged and lifted up today, that they would feel blessed, that God, like your word says, they would be highly favored among women. We thank you for our moms here at Freedom Church. We bless them, and we thank you, and we ask God, give us opportunities this week to share your hope. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, amen. Amen. 